This episode was recorded on the lands of the Ganical people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. We honour their histories, cultures and traditions of storytelling. Hello and welcome to Plated 3 Food Memories. I am your host, Savas Savas. For 25 years, my catering company, Plated, has contributed food experiences to some of Australia's premier events and intimate gatherings. During this time, I've observed the relationships people have with food and devoured thousands of conversations around it. I believe that every memory can be pinned to a food experience and every food experience can trigger a memory. Food memories shape who we are and remind us where we have come from. One of my early food memories is eating a banana paddle pop on the miniature train at Bronte Beach in Sydney. Join me as we move the fork around my guest three food memories to reveal what their memories tell us about them and motivates them to make our world a better place. Each guest will share a social cause close to their heart at the end of the episode. Hello there and welcome to Plated 3 Food Memories. My guest today has won a Film Critics Award for Best Actor as well as four Logies of which one was gold. He is notably the only Logie recipient who has received the award in the name of the character Norman Gunston rather than his own name, Gary MacDonald. Gary is listed as a national living treasure up there with Pat O'Shane, Barry Humphreys, Cheryl Curnow, Clive Palmer and Kylie Minogue. In the early 70s, Gary married actress Diane Craig and were to become the darlings of the television scape. Women like my mother adored Diane's beauty and men like my father celebrated Gary's wit, humour, audacity and courage. Aside from Gary's talent as an actor, only those closest to him know that Gary grows what he cooks and he's a grand home cook, truly one of the best. He goes deep into his cookery for even grander experimentation, exploration and creation. Gary, thank you so much for allowing the women in your family to talk to me today. It's a pleasure, pleasure. Okay, Gary, when I think of you, two things come to mind. The first thing is that you use your Logie statues to keep the doors open around the home. No, did I do that? You did in Bellevue Hill. Oh, did I? God, I might have forgotten that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And one of them had a meat tenderising base on it, we put on it. <laughs> so yeah. that's what you did with yeah. it. Yeah, they, you know, schnitzels. And, you know. <laughs> Schnitzel by Logie. Yeah. And the other thing is your enormous bank of food experiences. Was it easy to choose three to speak about with me today? Oh, no, it was very difficult. Um, in, in fact, um, Chinese food was such a big part of my life that it was very hard to pick anything European, really. Um, you probably won't have to ask me another question. I'll just go. Um, <laughs> my my dad, he grew up in Mwollombar, which is like you know way up the northern New South Wales. But he had an he had a Chinese Australian school friend. And Dad used to go to his place quite a bit. So Dad was introduced to it really early. 
uh, he was you know like probably only about 12 or something even younger and um uh so when we grew up he then introduced us to chinese food and my earliest memories of going to the Green Jade in in, um, in the Haymarket in Dixon Street. Then there's still that smell when I go to Melbourne and I hit Chinatown, that smell hits me. It's like, oh man, it just takes me back to being a kid, you know. I absolutely adored Chinese food. Dad actually wasn't, wasn't into cooking it then. Um, all he could cook really was a you know, like Chinese omelettes and and fried rice, but he'd do that occasionally, and that was kind of a specialty too. I mean, Di and I, we're not when we were first together before before we were married, we would um, we would get up really quite late, like about ten ten thirty eleven, and we'd rush into Dixon Street to go to the Thai Thai Yuan for what was breakfast, but it was lunch really you know for their lunch session that was where all the labor labor guys used to go which i didn't know then um it was very popular the thai yuan um anyway so i'm absolutely obsessed with chinese food and so my first kind of my my first overseas trip when i did norman gunston at the end of the first season i booked to go to Hong Kong and I went to Hong Kong and, and this is was, your first trip well Bali was the first trip really that was our honeymoon which we had which was really like we already been married for nearly a year because we were working um, in theatre and we couldn't get away when we got married and we went to Bali and, and that was ex- ex- extraordinary too but then the first trip that I where I really wanted to concentrate on the Chinese food was going to Hong Kong. And we stayed in Kowloon, but because of the Norman Guns and stuff, I was kind of wired up and I found Kowloon a bit sort of, uh, a bit much. So I told them at the um, front desk that I had to return to Australia because there was an illness in the family. And um, <laughs> they said, we'll get you a taxi to the airport. And I said, no, no, it's all right. I'll... <laughs> so I uh, had a taxi waiting and I'd, I'd I'd booked into the hotel in Repulse Bay on the other side of the island, which then Repulse Bay was, I mean, taxi drivers couldn't believe you wanted to stay there. There was nothing there. There was just this beautiful hotel, extraordinary hotel. Anyway, then from there, we would go and eat this, like, poor die. (laughs) We would have, like, a big breakfast, a big English breakfast at the hotel in the morning. But then lunchtime would be yum cha in either Kowloon or, or somewhere on the on the island. or uh, And then dinner time we'd eat out as well. But I still remember the names of the restaurants that I used to love. The Look You, the Yung Ki and the Red Pepper. They were phenomenal. The Roast Goose, you know, stuff like that. Phenomenal food. But the one thing that stood out, because I was really like in, in Sydney, I was obviously going to a lot of places like the Thai Yuan and, um, and I started going to the Nine Dragons and this is, this is all going back well in the 70s, you know, and trying out all these meals. Um, so anyway, somehow or other, I don't know whether someone told me, or I don't know how it happened, but the Hong Kong Tourist Association wanted to take me out to lunch. Um, someone must have contacted them or, you know, to say, look, Gary's, you know, become quite well known in Australia, blah, blah, blah. So they were going to take me out to lunch. 
And then they were going to do a bit of a photo shoot afterwards. I didn't have any Norman Gunson gear with me, but I just put on a sort of like safari suit and comb my hair over and all that sort of stuff. So they took me to this, they took me to this gentleman's club. And I, I think it was in Kowloon, yeah. And it was a Chinese gentleman's club. They, were, they would only serve people they recognised and only Chinese people they recognised. So we went in there and they had this um, chap that uh, a consultant they had called Michael, who was a um, Chinese, Hong Kong Chinese. So they knew Michael at this place, otherwise they wouldn't have served us. So there was Diane, myself, Michael, the boss of the Hong Kong Tourist Association and his wife. And we went into this place and it was all really traditional. Small white tiles everywhere and rosewood um, scrolls on the, on the wall with the today's specials in you know, beautiful calligraphy, hand painted. And I think there were, and bentwood chairs. And I think there were cuspidors. We sat down and Michael turned to the HK Tourist Association boss's wife and said, and for you, I've ordered sweet and sour pork. And I thought, oh shit, sweet and sour pork. <laughs> anyway, it was, the sweet and sour pork was like extraordinary. Can you describe the sweet and sour I pork? I can't remember. Can- All I can remember, and it's really unlike me, but I... All I can remember was that I was blown away because I thought, oh, shit, this is going to be, you know, sweet and sour pork. And I've never been able to get it again like it. It was, you realise why it's a classic dish. It was, it was just beautiful. Do you make sweet and sour pork? Oh, look. I'm, no. Oh, no. I'm, I'm just. You no. can't go back to that experience. So why do, yeah. No. And I went to the Marigold in Sydney. I thought, oh, they'll be able to do it. No, it's just like I went to the Flower Drum in Melbourne when it was owned by Lau. No, it was just like Aussie sweet and sour pork. Do you think that memory of the, the even though you can't remember the specific textures, the flavors, and all that, do you think it was just what was going on at the time? No, no, it was no, just no. that dish. I just I expected that to taste like an Aussie sweet and sour pork, and it was it was um, exceptional. It was. You know, look, maybe now I go, oh, yeah, this is very good. But you can see why it's, I could see why it's a classic dish. It was just beautiful. Um, I mean, the, the food blew me away in Hong Kong, of course. I mean, but may, mainly I ate Cantonese. And, of course, I had the, the red pepper, which was a Sichuan restaurant. Um, then when I, when I went to America in 70 was it 76 to do the second series of Norman Guns to get all the American interviews maybe it was 75 doesn't matter um, we stayed at the Riot House up in um, up in Sunset Boulevard the Hyatt Hotel and just down the road was a Mandarin restaurant which I'd never had before that also blew me away completely different food and it was just beautiful lots of uh, pancakes and lots of noodles and um and they had a cookbook they were selling there that I still use to this day. So in the mid-70s, so you'd had a history and an experience and an exposure to Chinese, to Asian Oriental cookery yeah, from yeah. Dad. Yeah, yeah. And then in the mid-70s, as, as the Norman show was opening and exploding and yeah. happening, you were discovering all these different bits of Asian cookery. These yeah, yeah. Regions. There was a Mandarin restaurant near the, um, 
near the ABC as well that I used to eat at all the time, the um, Peking Palace. I used to eat there all the time. In fact, it was in that restaurant that I got a phone call. They knew me so well. The ABC knew where I'd be. It was at lunchtime saying, Gough Whitlam's just been sacked. Get to the ABC. We're flying to Canberra. Did, uh, you, did you often find that you always had to have Norman gear in a bag somewhere no, at no, any no. time? No, no, no. It was no, a no. better plan no, than that. No, that was just, just that, that day was just like, oh, wow. So I rushed rushed there, grab a bag of makeup and and the, the suit and everything. These days we go to the internet and we research if we're traveling, yeah, when we right. can travel. Yeah. We research, we go, there's a little hole in the wall, look at that, found that. It's the mid-70s, you know, late 70s. No, How no. did you find these Well, that places? was all from, in, in Hong Kong, I guess I maybe I rang the Hong Kong Association, possibly did, to ask if they had any places for me to go to. So that was why the Look You, the Yung Key, and the Red Pepper. So would, uh, would but in Chi- but in China it was just I had to ask the embassy staff and right. they would recommend and they did they had, they printed out stuff. So you couldn't the- just do your research before no, you left. No, well, not for China. God no, no. Do your family get frustrated with you when yes. you're travelling? Yeah. But it's, it is that audacity, isn't it? That I you're know. just going to get in there and ask the and find. Meal. I want the best meal. Why do I you mean, want look, the best meal? Huh? Why do you want the best oh, meal? I just love food. I'd just like to get our heads back into the conversation around Reuben, your father's interest in Chinese cooking, which really started your love in the cuisine. He picked this up later in life when he stopped working, when he had time, right? Yeah, he had time. But he would he would sit in the bloody kitchen for hours preparing, and then he'd much leave. like you, yeah, I suppose. But he'd leave. I can do it in. I can prepare a meal in probably an hour and a half. But he would then leave an extraordinary mess, an extraordinary mess, and he'd go to bed. And who'd clean it? Mum, <laughs> Moira. Yeah, Moira, <laughs> who would be up till midnight cleaning up the kitchen. So we have a law in our house: you cook, you clean. So you, you make as much mess as you want. Yeah. You've got to clean it. Yeah. And it's really interesting. You know, our son was so messy as a kid because he got into cooking really early too. Um, he got into Italian food. That's how he started with the Women's Weekly Italian Cookbook. And he started there at like 14 or something. Um, and, you know, he was he wanted to be a chef at one stage. But um, thank heavens he didn't become that. What a hard life. Anyway, you know, much better to be a TV producer. <laughs> he, he, that was one of my things. So David produced um, MasterChef for a period of time. He did a couple of years, yeah. yeah okay. Yeah, yeah. He you... was probably uh, an exec on it. He was uh, uh, an exec that actually had knowledge of food. He became quite friendly with Marco Pierre White um, uh, and learned a lot from that. He went to Italy with them. They did this sort of a big Italian trip. Um, and he was there, he did the series where, maybe that was the same series, I can't remember, but the guy that was is now one of the judges on MasterChef won. Ah, The electrician, yes. the sparky, yes, what's his yes, name, yes, the lovely uh, guy. Yeah, so David became an actual fact, a very neat person, extraordinarily neat. And so he cooks and prepares and cleans at the same time. Cook and go. Any mess. There's hardly any mess. What is it with food in your family, do you think? Why is it so important? Why is it something that you do? And, you know, we always used to sit around the table. We all eat together. And that was a bit of a shock to some of Kate's friends when she was at To a lot of of family. A lot of families. 
And they, yeah, they just, they couldn't believe it that we all sat down and ate together. But we always did. We always sat and ate together. And that came from mum and dad? Well, dad, no, dad was a workaholic. So dad, dad would never, dad's meal was always sitting on the stove being kept warm. And um, we we just would eat with mum. You know, just, it was something that we did. Uh, Di and I did. We all just ate together. Um <clears throat> Yeah, I don't know. I'm obsessed with food. It's really weird. I use it. It's getting worse now. My memory's probably going a bit. But I used to be able to remember every meal just about. I could remember every meal, what we had at that restaurant, you know. Yeah. Um, and, and it seems that it's trickled down. It came from great, great-grandfather great to grandfather to your children and now your grandchildren yeah, have yeah. got a thing for cookery and food. Yes, yeah, so, yeah, they seem to. They... um, um and like David's side, David's boys are kind of like hunter gatherers. In that, that they um, they will. Well, I tried to get David interested in fishing, didn't work. Hated <laughs> it. And then so I gave Cooper, Your our grand- number one grandson, David's. I mean, first grandson. Oh, we gave him a, um, a spinning rod and reel and everything for his eighteenth birthday, which David has now got. He gave it to David because he's now spearfishers. So he will come down and visit us and he'll go out and come back with octopus, uh, abalone. Um, I beg him to bring the sea urchins. He's now into sea urchins heavily. Um, and um, we haven't got a cray from him yet. I used to I used to uh, trap crays, but it's too much like hard work. But he <laughs> would, you know, he it's, it, it depends on what time of the year he comes down to whether it's cray season or not. Anyway, um, so so he's heavily into all that, and so he's now heavily into smoking the fish, uh, doing all sorts of things. He likes it raw. He likes it um, uh, ceviche. It's ceviche. He likes that. Yeah, with and the, um, cooking with citrus. Uh, yeah, yeah, with the with the lime or lemon, and um, which is pretty yummy. Um, they're really heavily into all that, but it's mainly seafood with those guys because they're mum, so he doesn't eat meat. Ah, of course, of course. Food food really is a huge part of your life, your your family's life. My day starts with, I wonder what I'm going to eat tonight. But of course, also having such a big vegetable garden, I mean, it all, straight from? it all comes around from that, you know. Things like, and the things that you can grow, I, like I can't be bothered growing English spinach anymore. So I'll grow, but I grow chard, I grow silver beet, which, you know, is spinach. Spinach just means green vegetable, basically. So I, so often we just strip the leaves off that, don't have the stalks, and you'll do a green sauce for pasta with that. Oh, yum. Yeah, it's delicious with, with, with the garlic and a bit of, maybe just a hint of nutmeg in it, and, and, um, and of course, cheese. But also, Diane's a bit more experimental than I am. Like, Diane will say, oh, look, there's some mascarpone left over. Throw that in that sauce. Oh, wow. We hate wasting stuff. But, um, um, yeah, it all comes out of whatever's in the garden, what I can cook. I do a lot of lo mein now. I used to do chow mein, but I do a lot of lo mein now because it's more like it's, it's simpler and it's wetter. It's lovely and, you know, really simple. And, of course, if you do the, if you do the noodles fresh, it's delicious so when you were working all that those long hours those hard hours did you still find time to cook yeah i've forgotten about all those long hard hours yeah yep yep and i used to love coming home and doing supper was that your was that your just your get me out of here your happy place 
Yeah, and I'd come home after a show, say if I was doing a show, more near the end of my career, I was doing a lot more theatre. And so I was, I'd come home and I'd look forward to that because I would eat eat fairly early. I'd eat maybe because I'd, I'd, I'd eat maybe five before the show, five o'clock. What would you eat? Oh, I'd eat meal. Like a full meal that you oh, prepared? Yeah. I'd steam some fish with ginger and shallots or something like that, you know, and then and have some vegetables and rice. And... Would that help you prepare for the evening ahead? Oh, it calms you down. But And then um, and then I'd, I'd come home and that night I might do Dan Dan noodles or something like that for supper. But I had a vegetarian version of Dan Dan. When, when I got heavily into yoga, I got heavily into um, a yoga and I went vegetarian for a little while, which to the horror of everyone at home. <laughs> and I found a vegetarian Chinese, a meatless Chinese cookbook that I still use to this day. Some of the recipes in it are absolutely fabulous. So, and their Dan Dan noodles, great. But I don't think Dan Dan has meat in it anyway, but their Dan Dan noodle is really, really fabulous. I know your family were huge fans of Irene's Best Hungarian Restaurant in Bondi. Um, we used to go there really, really regularly. We used to go there just yes. about every week. You had, a, you, you had a restaurant you went to and you'd have the matzo dumpling soup, matzo dumpling. Yes, please. Yes, please, John. Um, <laughs> cabbage, salad, cabbage, uh, beetroot. Cucumber, cucumber, please, John. <laughs> and then you have a schnitzel, you know, uh, Vienna, Parisian. Um, beautiful food. It was really great. Um, no one does that anymore. They, they, restaurants seem to be like a special event. So thinking, thinking back on television when you started your career, thinking where we are with television now, yeah. what do you think the future is for television? I don't know. They must be pretty worried um, because a lot of the young people don't watch television. They watch everything on the on their iPads or their phones, and they watch YouTube and you know what are the, all the other ones? They watch TikTok and things like that. And um, so it's all going more towards the streaming services, which must be really worrying the TV stations. Must be. It's okay. very hard for them to get an event that people watch. Uh, all together on the same night. Um, so I, and I mean, from my perspective, I worry about the ABC because I think this government at the moment are just being so ridiculous about the ABC. I mean, when I was there doing Norman, I felt they were, they are, they're slightly left. Um, and they can be quite bolshy, but we'd be lost without the ABC. The ABC are extraordinary. I mean, the best television this year Two shows, The Newsreader and Fires. Fires was extraordinary. What makes extraordinary television? Well, one, it was about something we'd all lived through and they captured it absolutely beautifully. I mean, Tony Ayres just did an extraordinary job. Um, we went through the fires. So we had we had to evacuate three times. Luckily, we had a wind change and it unfortunate for other people he went through kangaroo valley but di and i watching watching fires they captured it absolutely beautifully there was one episode that was a little bit weak i thought that's all out of the what six eps i think they had it was extraordinary television and i know i spoke to a couple up in uh, the southern highlands i was at a dinner and uh they had lived in 
in the Yarra Valley. They had a vineyard in the Yarra Valley when Black Saturday happened. They lost everything. And, of course, then they moved <laughs> to the Southern Highlands and then... Lost everything. The fire, no, they didn't lose it again, but the fires came up there where they were. They were at Exeter. And, uh, I mean, they were very lucky because I know I spoke to someone from the nursery at Exeter who said he was talking to a guy who said, listen to those trains. The train is so loud. He said, that's not the train, that's the fire. Wow. Us. Yeah, the wow. roar of the fire. It was terrifying. It was shocking. It was even shocking. I mean, it was, it was shocking. So we did get very emotional watching it. And anyway, I spoke to him and I said, have you seen fires? So we couldn't watch it. I spoke to Steve Starling, my mate that I go fishing with. He lives down at Turos. I was down with him. We were fishing at Turos when the planes were coming over and dropping water and going and reloading at the lake next door. And then every hour, the big plane would come from Canberra and drop the pink stuff, the fire retardant. We were fishing. So he stayed there. He just was determined not to leave. And they stayed up all night trying to put out embers and all that. They, they were okay. But he won't watch it. He can't watch it. It's too soon. Great television just pulls you in. Gary, at the end of each episode, I ask our guests to nominate a social impact cause close to their heart, something that they want to shed light on. However, this time you've chosen a condition represented by many organisations. Would you like to tell us a little bit about that? I was involved with Beyond Blue for a long time. I was like 10 years there, uh, one of the initial board members, because I'd had a nervous breakdown. And so I was very keen for more concentrating on anxiety disorders than depression, right, both, you know, for the breakdown and depression. But um, Beyond Blue tried to do a lot for anxiety but in that 10 years they found it very difficult to get a message across about anxiety separating anxiety and depression well depression yeah people could understand depression and they they took to that i mean people understood that very quickly god it was so successful beyond blue amazing but they could not get through to them about anxiety they found it so hard um anyway i but i think now there's been such advances in all of this and I'm there's no no one sort of charity that I I really sort of align with but I I really am very keen to see a lot of work done with PTSD because I think not only do our servicemen suffer from it really badly and they they find it very hard I mean the I'm constantly amazed at how wealthy this country is and how what cheapskates we are, you know, especially when it comes to things like health. We just tend to think that everyone's going to rip off the system. I mean, we're going to have people ripping off the system. You've got to live with a bit of that, unfortunately. But you don't, you know, don't think that everyone's like that. And so, so people that are really suffering find it really hard to get any help. And I think also since the fires... We're going to see so much of it in the volunteer firefighters. So much PTSD. I can't believe they could have gone through that and not come out with that, you know. And I think it, it is showing up now that they, they're really suffering. And I don't think they're getting, because they're volunteer firefighters, I don't think they're getting the, the help they, they need, you know. How do you look back on that time of your life, that breakdown? It's quite some time, some distance between it. I'm... I'm I'm really interested. I'm a bit like um, a, a woman that um, forgets about childbirth. Ah, yes, yeah. Mother Nature. Yeah, I just mm. forget about those things. I, 
I forget. And then every now and then I might think, oh, yeah, that was where I was. My agent came and had to collect me and I was crying and saying I was worried that Diane would leave me and all that. But I, I And I remember stuff like David, you know, uh, coming around worried. And, but it's really, really weird. Oh, I'm also lying naked on the bed and my mother coming in saying, get up, get up, go to work. <laughs> Lying naked in the bed in the fetal position. Very attractive. (laughs) (laughs) This question, this one's my father and for many men like my father. Do you keep in contact with Norman? How is he and what's he eating? (laughs) (laughs) No, I don't. Look, I can't answer any of that. You know, Jack did a little... um, Jack, Jack, my uh, uh, number three grandson, he's a stunning film. So he did a little documentary on on, uh, Gary MacDonald and... uh, and Norman Gunson, little tiny one. And he played the young Norman. Because <laughs> I tell these stories about having such dreadful anxiety and having to sit in hot baths before I worked live. You know, when I'd go out, I'd do cabaret work and I'd be just, I'd just be frozen with anxiety. It was shocking. And I'd, I'd get into a hot bath, I'd try everything. Anyway, Jack had pictures of himself lying in a bath with bits of paper on Suck his face. And toilet paper on his face. It was like, oh, Jack, if I don't have that hair. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't really have, I don't really, yeah, I don't think about him much at all, really, quite frankly. Over the years, I've been blessed to have had my elbows on the McDonald family table. It has been a privilege to listen to Gary's generous anecdotes on Three Food Memories today. His steamed fish with ginger is everything. His love of food and family is boundless. His contribution to the Australian performing arts, outstanding. His gift to our television culture is absolutely legendary. Thank you so much for listening to Plated Three Food Memories. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell your friends about it, online or in person. You can also subscribe, rate it and write a review. Bye for now.